0: Hi, I'm Angry Man. And I'm Gidget Von LaRue, and we have an 80s movie podcast called The Retro Cinema Podcast. We talk and give
1: trivia, well, just a little bit of trivia, on 80s movies that we both watched back in the 80s.
0: We cover all genres, including comedy, horror, drama, fantasy, musical, animation, action, and even film noir.
1: We cover them all, so you can find us at theretrocinema.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in.
0: Klaipak, is that Slavic? No! <laughs> Give, Give us, us a listen. listen. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Childhood Remastered Podcast. This is the podcast where we look back at the cartoons and TV shows and movies of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. But is not the case with the movie that we're going to review today. I got to eat some crow today. Yes. Yes. If it wasn't for me, we would have never recorded an episode on this show Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet. November 27th.
1: Mr. Yokan there, right? Beware. The cyborg.
0: This appears to be some kind of map. This is the moment Jim Hawkins had always dreamed of. Whoa. Treasure planet. Now. He's determined to go for it. This is my chance to set things right. I don't want
1: to lose you. Make
0: you proud. Now I have to say from the get-go that this is, normally when we do movies or TV shows or something that you or I don't really remember, or one of us doesn't really remember, that that show typically we remember in a certain way, or even just shows that we watch, we remember them in a certain way, and usually it's either it either meets our expectations or it is, is just, our expectations are destroyed. Or,
1: yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a couple of times where... They're exceeded. They're exceeded. But but it's more so something that we already liked, and then we're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I already knew it was good.
0: Yeah. That, the, the, this show, this show reminds movie. me... Yeah, this movie, sorry. This movie reminds me kind of of Jem, because we had no or low expectations, or at least you had low expectations going into it, and when you watched it, turns out this movie's pretty damn good.
1: Yeah. Just on a side note, I've I've been watching more Gem. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's good, man. I don't care. It's good. My kid likes it, and it's fun. The stories. It's still like the story just gets crazier.
0: You should get it the comics. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So, this week we're not drinking because we're going to go back to my house and I'm going to do some Korean barbecue tacos and... And we're going to drink there. We're going to drink there, so... So sorry, everybody. Yeah, sorry. You
0: can imagine us drinking. Yeah.
1: Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> <laughs> so, this week we're doing Treasure Planet, which is an animated science fiction film produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation. This is a, this is a Disney feature... F- animated film that was released November 27th of 2002 right ahead of the holiday season that year
0: yeah and the reason that so many people either don't remember this movie or have just never seen it is because it was a box office flop yes
1: a runtime of 95 minutes it had a budget of 140 million dollars and a North American box office take of only 109.6 million yeah this this
0: movie had a lot of good things going for it a lot of at least in terms of the the people who made it, the studio, they had a lot of high expectations for this film, and they were planning all kinds of stuff. They were planning sequels and tie-ins and yeah. all kinds of things. And we're going to
1: get into a bunch of that stuff as we go because it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, but it also makes me kind of sad because it never happened. Yeah, it didn't. Womp womp. So this is Disney's forty third animated feature film, and it's an adapt it's an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's novel Treasure Island. Have you ever read it?
0: Treasure Island. I read it a long time ago. It's it's really you can you can download it for free because it's one of those uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those public domain uh, stories. Yes, and which is which is Disney's favorite place to pluck story ideas
1: from. It's a really good book. Yeah, it is. It's a good book. I it's one of my favorites as a, as a kid. I read this when I I don't know I think it was like nine when I read this book, which is maybe a little young, but it was it's actually kind of the prime demographic because. Because Jim is is a kid.
0: Yeah, he's, so he's supposed to be like 11 in the book. Or 12 he's like eleven or, or twelve,
1: yeah. but in the movie, Jim is probably
0: about sixteen. He he's fifteen. There's actually a deleted scene where they oh say, yeah, you're right. They say that he's fifteen because right. in the beginning of the movie, Jim is an indescript child age. He's like he looks like he could be five or three or maybe. Somewhere in there. He's old
1: enough to be like flipping through books and talking and, and conversational with his mom. So yeah. I'd say at least three. Yeah,
0: and it turns out he was three, to three because they go 12 years later
1: and he's 15. Yeah, so there we go. But the film is interesting animation-wise because it's a weird blend of 2D and 3D together. And which, I have to say, they do it beautifully. This movie is just gorgeous. It's it is
0: beautiful. I mean, it came out in 2002, so that's 15 years ago and it is it is a really pretty movie even though they're using 15 year old CG? CGI yeah
1: but you can tell where a lot of their budget went and it's well spent yes. it's it is very well spent it is a gorgeous movie to watch it really is yeah. this movie i guess was originally pitched at the same time little mermaid was pitched back in 1985 yeah but that was technically not true because the the movie was actually first pitched in 81 during Black Cauldron. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, originally back when they were working on Black Cauldron, they pitched it and then it didn't happen. And then later they pitched it for Little Mermaid. And it was between Little Mermaid and this movie. Now, it didn't end up happening. And then it got pitched again when they worked on Aladdin. Then they finally got a chance to do it. When we actually got to see it. Yeah. so it was like one of those things that they had kind of been wanting to do for quite a while and never really happened.
0: And it's kind of good that it didn't happen back then because based on the tech wasn't there yet. Well, yeah, and based on what what the uh, what the uh, the writers and the directors wanted to do, it would have been very difficult with the technology that they had. like I heard or I was reading about the shots that they were describing to I don't know if it was Katzenberg or whoever they were describing them to. But the shots they were describing were shots where, like the the camera would essentially pan around the ship. They they wanted to do like Steven Spielberg, type type shots, like James Cameron type shots, where there was a lot of like roving cameras and a lot of these massive skyscapes, and just in nineteen between 1985 and and that that 15 year period between 1985 and 2000. There the, the, the technology just wasn't there. It would have been incredibly difficult and expensive to animate something in a traditional manner and do all the things that they really wanted to do in the movie. And without that stuff, it sort of it sort of underplays the 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 sort of m- massive feel. feel of the movie. Because it takes place in space. But it's like a pseudo-space where everybody can breathe. Yeah, it's I, I assume and they have an artificial gravity thing on the boat. I assume that somehow that pumps out oxygen too. Eh, maybe. I don't know. It, it's just like, it's just like in our last, or no, not in our last movie. What was the movie where that we watched, or the TV show? Titan AE. No, no, oh. the one where everybody was just out in space and everyone could breathe, and there was no issue. It's one that we just recently recorded.
1: Oh, are you talking about Silverhawks?
0: Yes. Yeah, Silverhawks. That's
1: right. There's, yeah, there, I. It didn't actually bother me. I thought it was going to, but it really—it was not something that bothered me at all, like in the least.
0: Uh, This movie was was put up uh, for the best animated feature category for the uh, for the Oscars in two thousand two. In two thousand two, and it lost because it was nominated alongside Ice Age, the original one, Lilo and Stitch. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Which I don't remember at all. I remember the name of it. I don't think I watched it. I mean, I, never, I don't remember watching it. Yeah, and all of those, it didn't win. And all of those lost to... Uh, of course. Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Which is,
1: I mean, uh, completely understandable. Yeah. It, it, I mean, talk about a beautiful movie. Spirited Away is, is like it, eye candy.
0: If you got to um, lose to someone, you might as well lose to uh, Miyazaki.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's made an ugly movie.
0: No. Like, ever. You know what I love the most about his movies? The food. Oh, yeah. The food is beautiful. The food is... I've never gotten hungrier watching a movie than I have watching a Miyazaki film. Yeah, definitely. It always makes me (laughs) hungry
1: watching his movies. So, another cool thing about this movie is the guys who worked on it. The guys who created it? Yeah, Ron Clements and John Musker. So, they both started working together back on Fox and the Hound in 81 and then Black Cauldron. And... Then they went on to work on Little Mermaid, which we mentioned is around the time that they pitched this movie again. Then they both went on to make Aladdin and then Hercules before finally getting to do this movie.
0: So they were they had a hand in Disney's second renaissance. Yes. They were they were right there for some of the best movies that Disney put out in the 80s and 90s. And then they left in
1: 05 when Disney hit a little bit of a glut. Because that's when Eisner left, right? It was I think 06. It was around That there, was yeah. part of the, the Pixar buyout in 06. So that, that kind of makes sense. But then they came back again and worked on Princess and the Frog in 2009, which is another, like, beautifully done animated film. I can't wait for us to do that movie because my kid loves it.
0: You want to know something embarrassing? The music is
1: great. I've well, never seen it.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I know, right? The music is
1: so phenomenal. No, I know. I've, I've definitely like, watched. The Zydeco music and, and just all of it. It's just, it also makes you hungry, too. I've definitely, I I've definitely watched the uh, and Jim I've, Cummings got, I've Got
0: Friends on the Other Side song oh, on yeah. YouTube. I've watched that a bunch.
1: Well, probably because my kid wants to watch that song all the time. You probably heard it at some point at my house. Yeah. So it was also produced by Ron and John and Roy Conley. And it was written by Ron and John and as well as Rob Edwards, who worked on screen- the screenplay for Princess and the Frog. He was a longtime writer for Full House As a result, he ended up as a consultant and writer for A Different World and then Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So it's not like he hadn't done any work. Ted Elliott wrote for Aladdin, Shrek, and all five Pirates of the Caribbean films. So did Tori Rossi, who worked on those projects. But he also worked on the box office bomb Lone Ranger. Can't all be
0: perfect. That movie wasn't that bad. It 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 wasn't that bad. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, The musical score was done by James Newton Howard. Uh, he has eight Oscar nominations for movies like The Fugitive, Batman Begins, The Hunger Game film series, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, which we've got to do at some point, The Dark Knight, and The Sixth Sense. He said that the score is, quote, very much in the wonderful tradition
1: of Korngold and Tjomkin and Steiner. I guess the score has been described as a mixture of modern music in the spirit of Star Wars and Celtic music. They used some Scottish fiddlers in the background music, and they did a... Uh, full release of the album for this in 2002 you can
0: actually still find it online the soundtrack's pretty good you know that it makes sense that they would put sort of celtic music i'm thinking more along the lines because celtic music and like sea shanties are very similar that's a I lot of times the the whole idea and yeah this movie is essentially a sailing movie it all, even though it takes place in space but it's basically boats in space it's boats in space and it, if you have boats you should have sea shanty music which is a lot of violins a lot of uh Um, accordions and those uh, concertinas and and stuff like that which which would be kind of like that kind of celtic folk music yeah and
1: we have to mention john resnick from the goo goo dolls because john resnick wrote and sang a bunch of the songs for this movie like original songs they aren't Dolls. yeah he originally wrote them separate from the goo goo dolls i I put this in here because i like as i was writing the notes for this i was like oh john resnick goo goo dolls oh iris
0: both, both Chris and I were and, in high
1: school in the late '90s. Yeah, and I, and I was thinking, it was like, "Iris" is so quintessentially '90s because it came out in '98. It's so part of our informative years. <laughs> yeah. And it just reminded me of awkward slow dancing. This song, by the way, is 19 years old. Iris, think about you want to talk one.
0: about awkward slow dancing. I went to an all guy school.
1: Oh, well, I'm sure it wasn't nearly as awkward as you think.
0: <laughs> well once you got over the Once you got over the all The, uh, the initial the... shock Of dancing with a guy Then Yeah Oh wait no We danced with the girls
1: Oh uh, well Are you sure?
0: <laughs> so They were very passable wigs
1: So I think we should talk About the cast Most of the cast I guess recorded separately Except for Joseph Gordon-Levitt Who said he found it hard To act out most of the scenes Between him and Brian Murphy Who plays uh, Captain Silver, Silver. Yeah, So I, the I, two I of them Recorded that. their scenes together
0: I feel that Because I'm str- I'm trying to get into Voice acting Right now, and while I, while I'm just sort of doing uh, standalone things that I'm not interacting with other people, I did do one where I was interacting with another person, but I was just recording one side of lines, and I feel like it it's gonna, it would be so much easier to record lines if I was bouncing them off somebody. Because you could have timing. Yeah, it's huge, yeah. huge, and it and it changes it without without having somewhere there someone there to bounce the bounce the ideas or bounce just the 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 timber and and tempo of the of the line against you're just sort of relying on your own and it it also doesn't help that that i don't i'm not sitting here at my at my uh kitchen table recording and i don't have you know a voice director or someone else in front of me saying like we'll try it again but do it this way so i can totally get how he would want at least because the the character dynamic between those two is like the heart of the movie the heart of the story really yeah so if you don't have that other person, and it's supposed to be like this coming of age thing, where the where Silver is teaching him how to do stuff and doing all that, then it's going to be hard to to sort of convey that vocally. And I, I I get it. Yeah, no, I I totally get it. It
1: always makes sense to me. You yeah. know. So the the characters in this, the first one is Jim Hawkins. He's the protagonist of our story yeah and
0: his full name is
1: james pleiades
0: hawkins
1: yes and And he is voiced by two people the first is a kid named austin majors and basically he hasn't done a whole lot he was the kid of detective sipowitz in nypd blue blue. (laughs) and that's about it his imdb i think talks about him skipping a grade or some something
0: and it's like Not important. It feels like his mom wrote his IMDb. I wonder how many, I wonder how many like child, child actors actually continue on and keep doing like what the percentage is because
1: I I think a lot of them probably don't. They just, they use the money, put it into a fund and fund their college and go, I don't know, work in
0: engineering or something. I got to figure that most like three and four and five year olds aren't going, I want to be an actor. It's their parents getting them to do it. So once once they get to a certain point where they don't want to do it anymore, if they're in like going to high school or something, they're just like, no, I don't want to act. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Besides, mommy and daddy spent it all on blow. So. Seriously. <laughs> so the next
1: guy that we got to name is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is the grown-up Jim Hawkins. Yeah.
0: Quote-unquote
1: adult. If you don't know who Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, you're not a woman under the age of 35, I guess. Uh, yeah, he's, he's quite he's, popular. He's quite popular with the ladies... I think mostly his most recent thing that he did that he was really big for was Inception or 500 Days of Summer.
0: He was also in... 30 Dark... Rock and 10 Things I Hate About You. Well, I was going to say he was also in uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, he was. he, yeah, was, he was. He was the... St- the pseudo-Robin. The stupid... I actually call me by my middle name. It's Robin. Oh, and God. Shut up. Shut up. Not shut that, up, I mean, he's Christopher a... Nolan. That was terrible.
1: Yeah, it's like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's a good actor, but that was just weird. Uh, I can't believe he starred in Angels in the Outfield. I have... So little recollection of that movie, other than the fact that it was a movie about the Angels baseball team, which at the time was dismally terrible. Yeah. That it did have a it super... It was him and
0: Christopher Lloyd. It did have a super sad ending, though.
1: Yeah, it did. Wasn't that Tony
0: Danza, wasn't
1: he? Wasn't was he, also, I think also in it, yeah. Yeah,
0: he was like the main guy that that was going to like die of cancer or something. Something, yeah. Yeah. And then... Oh yeah Ooh. now the next character is, is the best character in the entire he movie he is he's the best because he's the best actor i think well, uh, yeah well
1: uh no the next one after that is yeah um, uh, arguably but yeah. david hyde pierce he plays uh, delbert doppler who is quite funny and i like that his name is doppler yeah He because he he's an astrophysicist and i was like the doppler effect yeah exactly one fish two fish red shift blue shift <laughs> It's an engineering joke. So sorry. Yeah. Uh <laughs> he's he's a neurotic
0: so really dorky pseudo goofy looking. Yeah, astrophysicist. Like yeah. Like yeah. Cuz he he's much more I feel dog you know, like, human-ish. Yeah, and there's there's a line in the beginning of the movie that where he the, the beginning of the movie takes place in an inn uh that Jim's mother runs. It's a like a bed and breakfast type place and he's eating Or he's sitting there reading the paper and Jim's mother brings over his food. And here's how it goes.
1: Sorry, Delbert. It's been a madhouse here all morning. No problem, Sarah. Ah, my Alponian chowder with the extra solaris seed. Mmm,
0: yum. And he's he's eating it out of dog bowls. Like, she hands him two dog bowls. It's a bowl of food and a bowl of water. And I expected him, because I couldn't remember, I expected him to just go face-first into it. And he doesn't. He pulls out a spoon and starts eating the the Alpo out of the bowl, because it looks like Alpo. It's smart.
1: It's smart writing. But his delivery is always great. Yeah. If you don't know who David Hyde Pierce is, he was Dr. Niles Crane on the long-running NBC sitcom Frasier. It's probably his most Mm well-known... Yeah, he also has a Tony for his role in the musical Curtains. He was Slim the Stick Bug in A Bug's Life. And he is... In one of my favorite comedies, *Wet Hot American Summer* from two thousand one, yeah, and he's got an uncredited role. I find that weird that it's uncredited, but it is. He's Abe Sapien in
0: *Hellboy*. Yeah, it, mm, I don't know why it's un- uncredited. Maybe it, maybe he wanted to do the movie. Maybe he really liked the movie and he wanted to do it for a really low price, and that was like a part of the, that was part of the negotiation that he would get paid like less than scale if he wasn't credited or something. I don't know. Lots of stuff goes into that.
1: Yeah, I think so. So, the next character is Captain Amelia, the captain of the RLS Legacy. The
0: stupid, sexy captain.
1: I want to just mention the name of the boat uh-huh. is RLS Legacy, which is Robert Louis Stevenson's legacy. Yep. Which I thought was really clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so smart. and And it's played by Emma Thompson. Yeah, she so. is a
0: stupid, sexy cat lady that there is plenty of awful fan art of if you just go on like deviant dart or anywhere on any of the the bowels of the internet yes now she and david hyde pierce both of them had the
1: roles that they played were written for them in mind specifically specifically and she actually really liked this project she was pregnant during the time and she enjoyed the fact that she got to do her first Action adventure movie While pregnant And didn't have to do any Of the Prep workout for yeah, it Yeah there
0: was no There were no like Action sh- scenes That she had to participate in Other than vocally
1: Yeah She has a couple of Oscars If you don't know Who Emma Thompson is I don't know what rock You've been living under But Howard Zen in 92 Which is one she won An Oscar for Much Ado About Nothing Remains of the Day, In the Name of the Father, Sense and Sensibility. Everybody's Christmas, not everybody, but a lot of people's favorite Christmas movie, Love Actually. Have you
0: ever sat down and actually thought about that movie? It is a depressing as hell Christmas movie. It is. It is absolutely absolutely devastating in terms of a Christmas movie, but so many people love that movie. It's also
1: devastatingly British in its, like... Oh, yeah. Like, darkness of a... Oh. Being a
0: because that kind of Christmas
1: movie would never get made in the United States. No, I feel.
0: every... Like, almost everybody in that movie is a shitty human being. Well, not so much a... Shi- I no. mean, they're, they're, they're...
1: There's a lot yeah, of people... I'd say they're complicated, and most of them don't get happy endings.
0: Yeah, but it's because they're shitty human beings. Well, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, you know who's in that movie? Rick Grimes. That's right. Rick Grimes. <laughs> so weird. Coral. So then we have the most annoying character in the in the uh, movie. I think I didn't think it was that annoying. Well, I, I enjoyed him. It's so the character. It's played by Martin Short. Yeah, it, the character's name is Ben, and he is yeah. It's played by Martin Short, being his absolute Martin Shortiest. It, yeah, if you could, if you could mix him with Jiminy Glick,
1: and his role in the movie Clifford. You ever see Clifford? Yeah, I did. So. It's one of my favorite Martin Short movies, and it is not a good movie by any means. It is a seriously bizarre movie. It came out in 94, where he plays an odd, sneaky, evil, weird-looking 10-year-old boy. This is actually a real movie, and it's a real comedy where Martin Short is portraying a ten-year-old boy, and he's probably fifty at the time that the movie was made. Yeah, it's bizarre. Like at the, at the least, it's
0: bizarre. Now, don't get me wrong; I like Martin Short. I do too. He's, Father of the just...
1: Bride, Three Amigos. The guy's a Th- genius. Three
0: Amigos is probably my quintessential Martin Short movie. I ha, love. Ha it. ha. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has that stupid line where it's <laughs> it's like I am that fast. Does anybody have a stopwatch? Preferably one with a second hand. <laughs> then he has to do the, 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 gun. the, gun, the, so the awesome. gun duel.
1: Now, I put this on here because he's done some voice acting work for Pebble and the Penguin and the Weird Back Dinosaur Story movie. Mm-hmm. But he's also the voice, and the Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that, which is a uh, show my kid watches. It was produced in Canada, I believe. And it's up on Netflix, so if you got a little kid, they're probably watching it, and she loves
0: this Cat in the Hat show. Yeah, I guess the reason I thought the character was annoying is because he constantly yells. It's well, just—it's it's kind just, of Martin Short's thing. Yeah, it's just, ah,
1: uh, hey, Martin Jim! Short is in his seventies and he's got a massive amount of energy still. I don't even know how is he, he...
0: really in his seventies? Yeah, holy hell!
1: Yeah crazy right yeah so John Silver is played by Brian Murray who's mostly a Broadway and traditional theater actor who's only done four films including this one
0: and his character has a lot of gravitas I feel like
1: yeah he, he does a brilliant job oh of voice my God. acting in yeah. this as as John Silver he like he's a complicated and relatable like sort of anti-hero and, yeah and I think he is
0: brilliant in this oh it's it, the the way that the way that he gives life to the character is just you 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 go through the emotional roller coaster of the movie and you you start out you start out kind of liking him, then really hating him and then getting back to liking him. So yeah, you get sort of this emotional roller coaster yeah, yeah, yeah so it, it's 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 in no short it's in no small part because of Brian Murray's performance yes now the next character.
1: Spoiler, dies about midway through the movie. His name is Mr. Arrow. He's the captain's first mate. But he's done by Roscoe Lee Brown, who is really known for his like rich speaking voice. He's in this science fiction classic called Logan's Run as a character named Box. Have you ever seen Logan's Run? A long time ago, yeah. It, it's, I, I put it on here because I think it's in, it's a really weird and interesting example of what a sci-fi film looks like post jetson age but before Star wars sort of solidified the feel and style of science fiction throughout the 70s and 80s yeah and and it's it's a very bizarre like in between transitional time capsule of a science fiction film but he roscoe Lee brown has uh he has Emmys for his role on Spider-Man, the animated series, as the voice of the
0: Kingpin. Yeah, that's probably what most people that are listening would probably remember him from. So, you're
1: the Kingpin, eh? While I am grateful for the early release, I have no time for Chinese games.
0: This is no game, I assure you. It is a demonstration of what is going to happen to the real Spider-Man. First, we will draw him out, and then... Closing around him like a noose.
1: Yeah, he had a bunch of additional voice work for Visionaries, Pirates of Dark Water, Ring Raiders, Freakazoid, and he's the narrator in the movie Babe.
0: Oh, Francis and Oliver and Company. That's, I remember, oh, he's, the, yeah. he's the bulldog in, all, in yeah, Oliver
1: and Company. Yeah, he is, and it's like this really rich sort of tone.
0: Yeah, and it's that character is funny because he, he thinks of himself as way more sophisticated than everyone else, and he's the actor. Yeah, so that, yeah, that he's voice so funny. Is, mm, my public awaits, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's pretty funny. So Lori Metcalf is in this and she plays Jim Hawkins' mom who runs the Benbow Inn which gets destroyed like right away and she's best known as Jackie Harris the sister of Roseanne on the TV show.
0: Yeah, Rose- Roseanne's getting a reboot. Yeah. It's, I don't know how I feel about that. They sort of ran the show into the ground in the last season. Like, really just absolutely destroyed the whole premise Killed of the show. Killed off John
1: Goodman, and they're going to bring him back. I don't know how that's going to happen.
0: Well, maybe it's going to... Maybe the... Maybe He's the ghost of John Goodman! No, I was going to say, maybe they're just going to ignore the last season then. Oh, yeah, when she won the lottery and it got weird? Well, the whole last season was her writing. The, did you not... That's how they ruined the whole show. Is so, the last season... What they won the lottery, and then in the like last episode of the last season, it's Roseanne sitting in the basement and she's typing and she's basically writing a story. So it's they, the they entire fu- show has been her writing the, the whole last season. Okay, where when they won the lottery, and that's where she says like uh, Dan died, he had a heart attack, he never recovered, blah blah blah. They they fucking st. elsewhere it. They with the it was all in her mind. It was. It was, so it turns out the whole last season didn't happen. She the, was just writing it in the basement. No. So the whole last season didn't happen, but what actually happened was John died. Or John, and that was her way Dan, of dealing with is it. Is Dan died. And yeah. So it, I, I don't know how I feel about that. That show was... There There needs to be more... There need to be more shows on TV right now. I feel like that actually portray working and middle class people rather than rather than like really well-to-do people who are living in giant houses that are way too big for their... Or they work in a coffee shop, but can,
1: but can afford a twenty eight hundred dollar a month one bedroom in New York. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Or yeah, well whatever. that was yeah that
0: was always the that was always the appeal I felt like of shows like Married with Children, and even though his his situation is equally unbelievable, but Married with Children and like Roseanne, is it it showed how like working class people dealt with life rather than oh here's all these people that live in. In 1.5 million dollar homes and have like jobs, a like, real estate agent and blah blah blah. No, hard time photographer. Yeah, right? here's a here's a woman that works at a at a restaurant and her husband like works construction. And I live in a working class neighborhood and yeah. yeah. So it's I I mentioned Big
1: Bang Theory because this is probably how many of our our listeners probably know Lori Metcalf. Because she is Sheldon's mom on the show. And she is been on there for several
0: seasons now. Yeah, she also voiced Andy's mom in the Toy Story movies.
1: And I guess she's going to be in the newest Toy Story. She's listed already in the credits. Or huh. in the in the, in the the list for, for people who are working on the new Toy Story. I don't know how that's possible because Andy gave his toys away. So, I don't know. We'll see.
0: Maybe Andy so, turns into a giant neckbeard and wants him back. Yeah. Now, the, the next character is a character named Morph, which
1: is, I thought, actually a genius character, by the way. Because yeah. Morph... So, okay, in the book, Silver has a parrot. Yep. And in this movie, he doesn't have a parrot. Instead, he has Morph, which is also a mimic-type pet.
0: Yeah. It's which a, it's I thought a, it was genius. It's this
1: floating blob... Of goo of that can goo. change shape into anything.
0: Yeah, he can, he can change shape and perfectly mimic anything. And he also talks a little bit, but when he talks, he repeats things like a parrot would. He's like... He's, you know, give him more, give him more, give him more. He never says like full sentences. He just, he'll say one thing over and over that someone had just said. But he does have some sort of like ethereal, bubbly sound effect for a voice that
1: doesn't actually say anything. And that's done by Dane Davies, who is a sound editor with over 150 film credits and has an Oscar for best sound editing for The Matrix. And apparently he's worked on every project that Wachowski's sisters have done except for Cloud Atlas. Just crazy.
0: That's right. They're both the Wachowski sisters now, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess they're also doing another Matrix movie, so I don't Why? know. I don't know.
0: Uh, the next character is Scroop. He is a secondary antagonist, and he's like a spider crab yeah. crewman on the ship. Eleanor thought he was too scary. Uh, he, they make him super scary. He's done by Michael Wincott, who voiced the Prophet of Truth in Halo 2 and Death in Darksiders 2. Um, he's usually either a villain or like an anti-hero. Uh, he was the secondary villain, Rockford, alongside Tim Curry in The Three Musketeers, which that movie... Yeah, I love that movie that so movie much. That movie spawned as a kid. that movie spawned one of the most earwormy like theme songs. Oh
1: yes, yeah.
0: and it was it was the power trio of what was it? Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Sting.
1: Yeah. Oh it, my god, it was
0: it's basically like a copy paste of the soundtrack from Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, He also played the prison warden in the 2002 movie Count of Monte Cristo, which is a way too rich sandwich for me. Yeah, but I don't care. It's delicious. (laughs)
1: Billy Bones is a character who dies rather quickly. Is done by Patrick McGoohan. And this was his last role before his death, I believe. Yeah, it was. And... He played King Edward I in Braveheart back in 95, and he's Billy Zane's dad in the 96 film version of The Phantom, which at the time Roger Ebert said is one of the best-looking movies he'd ever seen. I'll take his word for it, maybe because just, my memory does not say that. Maybe he but, just meant visually. Mm, well, I don't know. I think maybe we should do that as one of a, a future live action Maybe do, maybe. Uh, he also starred in the
0: uh, early 60s British classic Danger Man. Do you know anything about that show at all? No, but I assume that it was the... I assume that it was the um, inspiration behind the cartoon Danger Mouse. I think so. Which the Danger Mouse was a super spy that yeah. had like a manservant. And mm-hmm. they both took place in England. And mm-hmm. he uh, went up against a... a uh, Evil nef- frog? Well, it was like a nefarious Toad. organization. Yeah, I think it was called Toad. It was yeah, the... Something like that, yeah. yeah. Now,
1: he also did a, a TV show called The Prisoner, which is a British... Series that a lot of people might have a memory of but I not did, realize. Yeah. So, it, what it is, is this he is this spy who ends up on this island. It's the one where he's always trying to escape and he's being drugged and stuff. Yeah, and keeps and he getting, keeps getting pulled back. The one with like the weird bubbles and stuff. They made reference to it in an Austin Powers movie.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes.
1: So, that one's like super iconic. It's worth mentioning. Now, Tony J is Tony the narrator. Tony J. And we, I think, briefly mentioned him in our coverage of Tailspin as the voice of Shere Khan. But he's Mega Boot on Reboot, Megaboot. and Virgil on Mega Bite, Mega Boot. No, I know it's Mega Bite. Oh. Just being, just being contrarian, <laughs> jackass. <laughs> Virgil on Mighty Max,
0: and he, most people probably know him as Frollo from The Hunchback. Yeah. And he's got that voice, man. He's got that voice that could probably get me out of my pants if I, he asked me. I
1: watched an episode of Reboot this morning, and I don't mean to ruin it. No, I know it looks awful. It's. so... Reboot, I, reboot needs a reboot. Oh, it does. Yeah, we can talk about that when we cover it someday. So, there are several Treasure Planet video games that were released, and Disney Interactive released the naval strategy game, which I think those are so weird. It's not
0: for me, but whatever. I do not like real time strategy. Yeah, they made a bunch of they made a bunch of games, and that was I, really the only the only. Uh, it was like we were talking about this movie. the 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 people at Disney had. High hopes for this movie. They, yeah. they saw it. I guess the execs saw it. And they're like, this is awesome. We're going to start planning Treasure Planet 2. Mm-hmm. We're going to make some games and tie-ins. I think they even wanted to make it a TV show at some point. Yeah, I think so. And and they did this weird thing with the animation. They did
1: what's called the 70-30 law, which is something that Ron Clements came up with. He's, uh, Andy Gaskell, the art director for the movie, Credits Ron Clements for it. What it meant was is that the film's artwork should be 70% traditional, 30% sci-fi. And you can see that because the ships are wood, but they have and they have sails, but they're solar sails with With jetpacks. I mean, it's a very it's a really cool design idea. The whole movie is like this. And it's it's a cool thing to watch. They use some technology that they had developed for the movie Tarzan that that's the one that you were talking about, the three sixty degree sets. Yeah.
0: Uh, So so that you could pan around Mm -hmm. from any perspective on the ship or pan from any perspective within the thing to see any side or 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 piece of the ship. Yeah. It, It gives you that it gives you that like floating camera look. Yeah. Where it's just panning around someone. And they
1: use that also to add in digital effects because a lot of stuff, like Silver is human, but with cyborg elements. He's got a peg leg and a robotic arm and eye that are actually computer generated and overlaid on top of the traditional hand-drawn animation. Mm -hmm. That is really cool because what they did was they did a test for this where they took Captain Hook from Peter Pan and replaced his arm with the cyborg arm (laughs) Cyborg Captain Hook yeah so there's a cyborg there's test footage somewhere
0: I'd watch that movie (laughs) I
1: can't I couldn't find it but I know it's out there uh, where they took Captain Hook and they edited him from the traditional Peter Pan to have a cyborg hand
0: Cyborg Captain Hook and the
1: steampunk pirates of Neverland Nah, maybe the way you build it I don't want to watch it now
0: (laughs) (laughs) come on Disney make that one (laughs) come on come on ruin another thing Hey, they already made a P- Peter Pan and the Pirates mo- cartoon that wasn't that great. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, actually, no,
1: that wasn't that terrible. I mean, it could have been worse, but there. So with this movie, it it currently has a sixty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and critics tended. It was weird because they everybody said that the visuals were stunning. Yeah, it was beautiful. Roger Ebert only gave it a two and a half out of four stars, saying he felt. A more traditional take would have been less gimmicky More exciting and it seems like a lot of people just didn't Really like that it was Doing a sci-fi take on A classic story which I feel like That's just being argumentative for no yeah. good reason I mean
0: I could sort of see that it's like They sort of halfway went Sci-fi they didn't go all the way so Like why didn't you go all the way why did you mix And match with your traditional And, and sci-fi yeah. elements Just like like we were saying it's They're not they're uh, It's essentially a space sloop that has two masts. I don't even know if sloops have two masts, but whatever. It's a space boat that, yeah. has, that has masts that actually requires people to climb up the mast to like bring in the sail, like you would do on a traditional ship, instead of just hitting a button like you would do if, in a sci-fi situation. Yeah. Bring in the sail. Okay. Boop. Yeah. I mean, it, and it was. I thought
1: it was cool the way they did it. I no, like I did it. too. I like. I, the... I think they were going up against tough competition because they were dealing with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Die Another Day, and the Santa Claus too. So, damn that's Santa
0: Claus too knocked him out of. Little... Well, that movie made I think made a lot of money. No, it was year because yeah, it was that.
1: like a big franchise at the time.
0: Well, let's talk really quick about the, mo- the movie. And if you've never seen, if you've never, no! if you've no! never read, <laughs> if you've never read Treasure Island, you probably should. It's a classic of, of English I think language it's a mandatory literature. Classic,
1: it really is.
0: Yeah. So the the story is the story of the of the movie is uh, Jim Hawkins. His dad leaves at some point. In his early life. Like when he's around seven or eight. Or and then never like, comes back. Never comes back. So Jim becomes this troublemaker. And... His mom has an inn. His mom has an in that, that, sh- that he helps her maintain. It's like a bed and breakfast. And he's always getting into trouble. Because he is a teenage boy with no male supervision. Not that males are the only one. But he doesn't have a father. So he gets into trouble with the law. And this... He gets sort of grounded, and the the character of Bones comes in one night, and is followed in by some pirates. He looks like a weird turtle. Yeah, he looks like a turtle, turtle or a Gila monster or something. And
1: he, I I like the way that he when they when he dies, I like the way that they animate him because he's got these like weird skin flaps like around his neck. And when he dies, because Bones dies, he yeah he's
0: like hurt when he walks. Yeah, in.
1: so when he when he flops onto the ground and he dies, they they take the time to animate the skin flaps on his neck, slowly falling and losing tension. And that actually really made me appreciate the animation work for this. And I know that's a weird thing to point out. I agree. But there's a lot of like really small, minute details that they
0: did not need to do. Because who, like what eight-year-old's going to notice that? Well, one of the things that I was thinking about while we were watching this, while we, while I was watching this, is I, I remembered back to last week when we were talking about Titan AE and I had made the comment about the how Don Bluth's animation, the, the Bluth animation, when humans humans humanoids are doing something when they're acting quickly when they're fighting or when they're running or something that it feels it, floaty it, yeah it feels like they're they're swimming it's 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 a weird it's it's hard to it's hard to verbalize but their their arms and legs move slower than they should and it doesn't feel Honestly, oh, I always felt like
1: it felt almost faster like like they're almost like running on on air sort of yeah, like does, they're going on a treadmill or something it doesn't almost. feel right the, yeah. the animation doesn't I don't really feel know right. what to describe yeah yeah
0: but the 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 animation in this because there were plenty of fight scenes there were scenes where people were getting tackled there were scenes where, where people are running and crazy it is, accurate no it's re- like they, i don't know what they did but the, say what you will of disney the animation but... was absolutely beautiful seamless perfect it was great and there are a lot of action scenes in this movie where stuff like that happens where where the people are falling or fighting or running or doing something. So or or things like the the way that the fire is animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That
1: takes a lot of work. And the opener for this where Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character well the other guy who's doing Jim is the the kid is mm-hmm. is sitting there reading a book and and he's reading a book about the story of this pirate who had Basically, had a big treasure. Captain and was, Flint. Yeah, Captain Flint. He was, you know, robbing some other ship. And it's this kind of almost cold opener. Mm-hmm. And the way that they animate that, because there's a lot of CG in that scene, is flawless. Yeah. Like, it is incredibly well done. Especially, I mean, we're talking 2002 when that kind of animation was two, really expensive.
0: 2002 when it came out, I think the production took two years. So that was 2000.
1: yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, they do such a good job. I, I, I just can't like gush about that enough. I was not expecting this movie to be like this at all.
0: Yeah. So all, so the character bones essentially tells him that he has a map and they take it. And And the map is a weird sort of Rubik's cube type ball. That's what I
1: put. I was like, turns out it's a glorified Rubik's cube, but it looks like the apple from Assassin's Creed.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah. So Jim takes that pirates show up to get, to get bones they end up burning down the the inn, and the character of Doctor Doppler takes in because he's an old family friend. He takes in Jim and his mother at his either his office or whatever, and essentially that's where Jim figures out how to do the map, and it shows the 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 hiding spot of Captain Flint's treasure, which is on the quote treasure planet. Yeah, and roll credits. Yeah, no. So then, so then. Uh, Dr Doppler commissions a ship gets a crew and they're gonna sail out there and get it because he's like been looking for adventure his entire life there's this really funny scene where he where he talks about how this is something that he has been waiting for an adventure that he's been waiting for for his entire life Delbert would you please explain how ridiculous this is it's totally
1: preposterous traversing the entire galaxy alone now at last we hear some sense that's why I'm going with you Delbert. I'll use my savings to finance an expedition. I'll commission a ship, hire a captain and a crew. You're not serious. All my life I've been waiting for an opportunity
0: like this, and here it is, screaming. Go, Delbert. Go, Delbert. Go. Okay, okay, you're both grounded. And so they go on the ship. And he buys this crew, or he rents this crew. I don't know how it hires. Hires, you don't buy people, you hire them. Yeah, they. Well, whatever. This is. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, time, sure. it's, it's a different time. It's it's a different time. The space in the station
1: slash I don't know ship dock that they end up on is this giant ship dock that looks like a crescent shaped moon, and that's like the one thing that I remember because actually you know when we were talking I don't think I actually saw this movie when it came out I might have, but it came out in two thousand two so we were in college when it came out so I don't think I I actually saw it I have like vague recollections maybe of the trailers mm-hmm. and I was like too busy for this and i just i don't think i got around to seeing it yeah but it's that is one of the things that visually i remember he also rides like on a windsurf he does like he does windsurfing yeah and uh on this like weird jetpack thing with a solar sail but but the he has this moment where he bumps into this giant slug with a bunch of what looks like anuses all over his body. He's
0: an ass man.
1: (laughs) Hey, you know, some of us are ass men. And and so they (laughs) bump into this guy who, quote, speaks flatula. How cool is this? (laughs) Sorry about that. I didn't... (laughs) Allow me to handle this. (laughs) I'm fluent in flatula, gym. Took two years of it in high school. Flatula, cool.
0: Which is essentially fart speak. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the in the shot, uh, the character Doctor Doppler, when he's responding to him, he's both blowing raspberries and making fart sounds with his armpit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> While well, in like a giant futuristic diving mask. Yeah. He, uh, outfit. It. Be, there's. There, there's like a lot of moments like that that they just kind of blast through yeah and his character hyde pierce is the source of all the funny in yeah, this movie
0: doppler's doppler's lines are the funniest ones in there because he's he's an he's anxious he's neurotic he's like really nervous so he says a lot of things like just off the cuff to sort of play to his nervous tension his timing
1: is brilliant <laughs> oh too. yeah it's perfect it, it very much reminds me of his timing and other stuff because it's sort of it's just David Hyde Pierce just the way that he does stuff.
0: Yeah, so the the basic rest of the story is they sail off for Treasure Planet and it's the same in it's the same in Treasure Island. They sail off with the treasure and at some point we the find The cook
1: it, is Silver. The cook is he's is John disguised Silver. himself and all of his crew are on the boat mm-hmm. and they're all on there basically to get mutiny or to to to, to, to mutiny pl- the to, captain to mutiny the captain and then steal the treasure. But in the meantime Silver and Jim form a a pseudo
0: father son relationship
1: that at first is silver just trying to keep Jim preoccupied. So he doesn't figure out their scheme because he realizes that Jim's a a smart kid. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is, is he ends up actually liking Jim. Yeah. And you could tell he genuinely cares for him and he has like real feelings about him to the point where after they mutiny and Jim is trying to escape he, Silver, has the opportunity to shoot and kill Jim and he can't bring himself to do it and actually lets Jim escape. Yeah. And then there are other occasions in which he lets Jim go or later on when they get the treasure, when they get a hold of the treasure and the, it turns out the entire planet is a giant mechanized planet that it's treasure inside and it's built as a giant booby trap. Mm-hmm. And when they get into where the treasure is and this planet starts blowing up there's a ship covered in gold and silver has to decide between saving jim or saving his lifelong ambition of this ship full of gold and he saves jim yeah and, and, and so it's like a character redemption at a certain for, point for silver
0: at a certain point in the in the lead up to that while he's still you know undercover while silver's still like undercover yeah. he says something he says something to jim about about essentially needing to part of life is learning how to deal with with the situation where you realize you, your your dream isn't achievable or, or something like that if I could maneuver a skiff like that when I was your age they'd be bowing in the streets when I walked by today bowing in the
1: streets I don't know they weren't exactly singing my phrases when I left home <laughs> But I'm going to change all that. Are you now? How oh, so? Sure. Uh, I got some plans. Gonna make people see me a little different. Ooh. Sometimes plans go astray. Not this time.
0: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, Murphy.
1: So, uh, how'd that happen, anyway?
0: You give up a few things, chasing a dream. Was it worth it?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping it is, Jimbo. I most surely am.
0: And he, he doles out like this this fatherly advice to Jim because Jim's never had you it's shown in the it's shown in like flashbacks that even when Jim's father was around, he wasn't really around because he was a sailor who was there for like a little bit and then he would leave. Yeah. So, and it's
1: very possible because of the when Treasure Planet the time that Treasure Island is based around. People, men, all the time would sail off on a ship and work something, and then the ship would go down and never come home. People didn't know whatever happened to their relatives. And even and it's very possible that that's maybe Jim's dad died at Space Sea. And I think Doctor Doppler, David Hyde Pierce's character, is trying to be a pseudo
0: father figure for Jim. Well, he tries to at one point, and then yeah. he gets he gets uh, yelled at for not doing for not being the father. Said <laughs> right at the beginning of the movie. Well, and I think. What it is is it's not
1: just that Jim needs a father figure, but he needs a father figure who's the right kind of father figure, yeah, who can relate to him because Doppler's character is trying to be a father figure, but not really. He what he's, he's he's being a friend, right? And and not just that, but he, it's two different personalities that just don't mesh in the terms of one instructing the other. It's the it's almost kind of like the perennial struggle between a step parent and their kid.
0: Yeah. Like you're
1: trying to step in and fill a role and you're doing the best that you can, but there's a conflict that's underlying that you just are never maybe going to be able to fully work out. You might be able to hash some of it out, but, but he really needed a a figure in his life like silver who could kind of guide him in the kind of way that he needed. Well, he needed somebody
0: to push him he needed someone to he needed someone to call him out on his bullshit. Yeah, which and, Doppler
1: wasn't willing to do,
0: and also and also be strict and hard with him. But all but in the in the same breath, reward him and praise him for what he does too. Yes, and and he also, needed that tough love, and I think
1: he also needed somebody who related to him, or oh, rather yeah. that he related to. Yes, because yes. he was not like he wasn't a kind of head in the sky kind of, uh, you know intellectual type character he was more of an adventurous kid and he needed somebody who he could relate to that he could imprint himself on yeah and silver sort of represents that and i think in some ways like that's your job as a parent is to try and read your own kids see where their brain works and figure out a way to be instructional and hard with them in ways that they need to but also to to be relatable to them so that you can maybe hopefully make them a better person than you are. Yeah. And I think in some ways, I think silver silver sees in himself that he has some things that he didn't get to accomplish in his life, but that getting to play a part in Jim's formative time actually gave him some satisfaction because at the end he sacrifices his treasure in order to save This
0: youth. He sacrifices his lifelong dream in order to save someone who he's come to view as like a son, a a surrogate son. And I obviously don't have kids yet, but I feel like that's a struggle that a lot of parents probably go through when they have kids. Lots of parents probably have this dream that they haven't yet achieved that they want to do. Or just and if, anything. Maybe yeah. you just want to eat a hot meal, or go to bed early,
1: or have sex with your spouse. Yeah, uh, and these are things that sometimes, sometimes you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice and because you got to change a diaper or comfort a, a crying kid who's thrown up. Yeah, and, and some and sometimes
0: sometimes it's it's something where you have to you have to do something that isn't necessarily what you want to do in order to make a better life. For your kid.
1: Yes. So, and I
0: think I think
1: part of it is also... You can go broader than that than just kids. I think it's also... Sometimes in life, your ambition of what you want... Doesn't necessarily match what you need. Mm-hmm. What Silver wanted was to find this lost treasure... And to be a rich, famous pirate. That's what he wanted.
0: Yeah, his lifelong dream was to find Flint's treasure. But what he needed
1: was to forge a relationship and to be the pinnacle of the coming of age story for a young kid who never had a father.
0: Yeah, cuz you think about it like Jim or, uh, Silver was a lonely man. Yeah. He had crew members that he didn't even like. I was going to say that if if he's he's the captain of a pirate crew who are in it to get money and as soon as towards so they get to the they they get to the treasure planet they mutiny, they take them to the treasure planet and they they end up hiding with the robot Ben who they meet on the planet and eventually silver catches them again and forces Jim to show him the way to the treasure to unlock yeah. the thing. And Jim's like, Oh, I'm going to come with you. So they follow the, they follow the map. It's actually like a beam of light that they follow. And they get to this point where the, the beam, the beam ends and there's nothing there. And this it's what happens in, Treasure Island is they get to the treasure and they open it up and there's nothing there. And as soon as they f- like, well, the map led us here and there's nothing here. Silver's crew almost immediately turns on him. Like, what did we come here for? There's nothing here. This all is- this work
1: to end up yeah. here for nothing.
0: This is a waste of time. And they're about to turn on, on silver and essentially kill him or do whatever they're going to do to him. Yeah. And that's when Jim puts the, puts the sphere in the ground and It creates the portal or that, powers the portal. Yeah,
1: like, there's a portal that... Basically, what Flint a was stargate. doing is... Yeah, Flint had a stargate, and he would go to different systems, different planets, immediately rob them, and come back to his own little mechanized treasure planet. Yeah, and, and the that's only, where and the only way to stuff. actually
0: get into the center of the planet where all the treasure was was to use that gate to go to the center, which right. is what they do. So, yeah, Silver is a lonely guy because he doesn't have any real friends or family. His crew will turn on him at the, ter- at the turn of a hat, Is that how that phrase goes? The drop of a hat. Drop of a hat, turn of a dime. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Well, and while they're walking over there, Silver, if I remember right, pulls Jim off to the side and is like, you know, the two of us, we can go, you know, forget this crew. The two of us, let's get this map together. We'll get the treasure. We'll split it down the middle and the two of us will go off into the sunset. Yeah. And he, you know,
0: and eventually so the planet ends up blowing up. They get away. Uh, Silver gives up his his treasure his to dream. save to save Jim. And they're taking the pirates back, the captain Captain. To Amelia. in jail. Yeah, they're taking the pirates back and that's that's where you have uh Silver escape in a longboat and it's it's just like in Treasure Island. This just like the book and just like in he the He escapes.
1: Yeah he escapes and, with a bunch of the
0: treasure. Yeah. Except in this one he, unless the treasure is in his pockets, because he throws Jim
1: some. He He's, throws Jim like a handful of gems, which is apparently enough to rebuild the inn that got burned to the ground, but like three times nicer than what it was before. Maybe they were like quantum rolls. Yeah, who knows? But, but he—it it almost seems like in this version, he gave up completely his dream, but he to makes,
0: satisfy the dream of his pseudo child, which he, is. But he makes a he makes a last, he makes a last dish effort. To ask Jim, like, come on, come along with me. Like, come with me and we can go sail the, sail the skies or whatever. Yeah. And, and we can be, we can have adventures and do whatever. And Jim says no. And he stays with his mom. But he ends up joining the intergalactic navy or something. Something. Because Captain Amelia gives him a recommendation and he comes. And there's actually, I, I was reading about this and I noticed it as I was watching. I don't know if you picked up on it or read this part. But throughout the film, from beginning to end... Jim's clothing reflects. Yeah, I read this. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Jim's clothing reflects and I his character too. So at the beginning of the film, Jim is like kind of an asshole. He's a bad boy. Like, asshole. All of his clothes are black yeah. and
1: gray and brown and he dirty. Wears,
0: yeah, he wears a black shirt and brown pants. And when he starts, when he starts his relationship with Silver, and he starts to become more of a like upstanding person, learning how to do things and doing all that jazz. His, his outfit changes. His his shirt is now tan. It's lighter. And then at the very end of the movie, when he joins the Imperial Navy or whatever it is, he's wearing a full white suit because he's gone from being like asshole bad boy to hero. And I think that... I mean, I get that that's like
1: a traditionalized concept of bad to good, which is dark to light. but Sith
0: to Jedi.
1: But see, I also saw it as black to white as if like whiteness was purity. And I thought that that was a little like, bit of like racist undertone.
0: I didn't see that. So you didn't see it. Yeah.
1: Okay. But, but I thought it was, I don't know. I thought I saw that as like, that seems like the obvious choice. That's weird.
0: Well, uh, I mean, I get that argument, but I don't think it's, I don't think that it's, uh, in the minds of writers and artists no, maybe nearly it's, as much. Yeah, I, think I mean it could be
1: subconscious. Yeah, I feel yeah. like
0: that's something that that people put into things like that. They don't Yeah. That's not the intent of the of the author, but it's the yeah, reaction it, of a lot of people yeah, had a lot of It was people.
1: something that I had read and as I and then like I couldn't not see it you that way. You need to
0: stay off Tumblr. Oh, please.
1: God. <laughs> Tumblr Tumblr's an evil place. Yeah. Uh it's, just, it's
0: angry. Everyone's <laughs> angry. So one of the funny scenes at the end of this movie is Throughout the the movie, the character of Captain Amelia and Dr. Doppler, they go from being very adversarial towards each other, and it's almost like the classic romantic comedy type situation where they're very adversarial, and they yell at each other, and throughout the film, their relationship changes. It blossoms. It definitely blossoms. The more time they spend together, the less harsh they are to each other, to the point where when they crash land on the treasure planet that Amelia gets hurt and Doppler is actually taking care of her and carrying her around. And I think at one, at one point she kind of gets a she gets a little turned on because he barks an order at her. Yeah. Mr. Hawkins, stop anyone who tries to approach.
1: Yes. Yes. Now listen to me. Stop giving orders for a few milliseconds
0: and lie still. Very forceful, Doctor. Go on, say something else. And she's like, oh, say it again, but more forceful this time. It's like, Ugh. That's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, and they, by the end, they end up having kids. Interspecies children. Interspecies bestiality. <laughs> That's like, it's like four people in Alabama's heads just exploded.
1: <laughs> Why we gave them ideas? No, I'm just kidding no offense to our listeners in
0: alabama no uh, no yeah i'm just kidding i'm gonna edit that whole part out <laughs> so so uh the the weird part is the, the 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 writers originally wanted to put so at the end of the movie you get a pic, you get a scene with the two of them when they do the reopening of the of the inn the two of them show up with their kids and it's three cat girls and a little dog boy and I guess there was originally a storyboarded scene, or I don't even know if they animated it out. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. Where it shows Doppler, the male, being pregnant with, uh-huh. with the babies. Yes. And, yes. And Disney deemed that to be too risque, too controversial to actually leave in the film. So they just cut that part out entirely and they just had the babies and no no signs of it being, of either of them being pregnant
1: so it, I wonder, it, do you think that was an homage to the Schwarzenegger Devito classic Junior? <laughs> <laughs>
0: it could have, it could have been, or it, like Futurama did something similar with Kiff and Amy. Oh like, yeah, Kif, that's true. Kiff was pregnant with their kids, and uh, I thought it was funny. Like, even though the character was an alien in a fantasy universe, the fact that he was a male was too much for Disney to allow him to be pregnant. They they just they didn't think that it would play. It's like, too controversial. Too, too much controversy. But Well, I, you know us
1: here. We like the controversy.
0: Yeah, but they ended up having kids. Um, stupid sexy cat lady got down with doofy dog guy. And then it got awkward and weird. Yeah. No. So, what at the end of the day, what, what did you think of this movie? I liked it going into it and re-watching it. I think my opinion of it went higher. This is a Ooh. movie... And we were talking about this when we were heading to lunch. This is a movie that probably there's a good chance that you have you listening have either not seen it or have not seen it in a long time. Like yeah. never, never seen it at all. Or like I never saw it. it. Yeah. And like we were saying at the beginning, there are so few times where you look, where you wa- watch some movie that you either have little rec- little recollection of, or none at all. And you watch it and it exceeds your expectations and you're like, wow, that was actually a pretty damn good movie. And it's, it's, I think, I think it's objectively a good movie. It's not yeah. like it has great acting. It's not just the
1: fact that you level set because you thought it was going to be terrible yeah. and then you went in and it was good. I think it was just objectively good. Yeah, it has. And that helped, but it wasn't necessary. It
0: has super beautiful visuals, especially for like, a movie, incredible. Especially for a movie that's mostly C or it's got a lot of CGI in it, especially in the, in the space. Stuff. scenes which there of the of which there's a lot yeah it's just it's a beautiful looking movie the acting is top notch for a kids movie for an animated disney movie the you don't usually get act I, i'm thinking back to like like uh robin hood like the acting in robin hood the, oh, the animated yeah. one was like really good and you felt real emotions like yeah like the the part where uh the part where prince john asks robin if he loves her and he's like with all my heart you're like oh like yeah just the way that the lines are delivered and the quality and the the caliber of the actors that are in the movie plus the story is good and you actually feel something for the characters they're not just like blots on the screen you feel the emotions that they're feeling and you feel betrayed when silver betrays uh yeah that wasn't that wasn't us
1: like trying to bullshit and look for some pseudo angle here like our discussion on silver like i had those thoughts watching the movie and i thought man this is like he's a
0: cool guy. Oh like, no, he's an asshole. Wait, he's kind of a cool
1: guy again. And like, in in his search to like, you know, find a purpose in life and a companion and and to kind of curb his loneliness, and those are all things that like,
0: I, I wasn't searching to to feel. Yeah, and you can see that he's going through those same things. It's not just it's not just like the story is making him do that. You see him like struggle with things. You see him struggle with the other the other pirates wanting to essentially kill Jim and he's like wait no don't do that and he has to he has to he struggles between his affection for Jim and the fact that if he's if he's too soft the crew will mutiny against him and he wants his treasure and he wants the treasure so he's balancing
1: a bunch of plates yeah I mean I I enjoyed this movie a lot I did now Eleanor however I asked her what she thought and she first she goes I don't like it (laughs) and then she goes no but I liked it it's like (laughs) Well, what do you mean? What didn't you like about it? She goes, that crab guy was too scary. I did not like him. To be
0: I, fair, he was pretty scary. He was
1: pretty scary. And so she wasn't a big fan of him, but she goes, but the ships are cool. So, you know, I think, I, I do think for kids they'll enjoy it, but this is definitely one as an adult that you will enjoy watching with your kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, it's just a good retelling of If you're of just looking for treasure, something that's treasure island. different, just something different. Like... Yeah. And plus, in the even though it's a Disney feature animated film, there's no there's no musical numbers, there's no singing. There's there's a couple songs in it, but yeah, there are a couple of John Resnick
1: songs are part of like some some montages. Yeah, but,
0: but there it's not singing. There's not a forced love story. At least that's that's front and center. That's part of the story. Yeah, the
1: love center, the love story is vaguely there in the background, so it's not even a big deal. Yeah, I mean it's like it, it, It's not an afterthought. It just. It's it just feels organic it feels organic which is like the first time that ever has ever <laughs> yeah, happened it
0: it's like oh you're hot i'm hot too we should have attractive children
1: yeah i don't i think most of the time when they try and put love th- like relationships into kids movies i it's always a groaner for me <laughs> but this this was totally okay with me this is the first time in a long time that i was like okay that's cool i'm i this makes sense this to me. this is a decent ass movie no, no, I mean, I think the movie's better than average, for sure. Oh, yeah, no, it's... Is it the best movie I've ever seen? No, but I would definitely say it's a go- just a solidly good movie. I highly would recommend it. Absolutely. If, if you're going to want something that is different of, of, of a Disney animated movie, you want something that you probably haven't seen at all or ever, or at least in a long time, I would for sure say
0: watch this movie. I would, too. It holds up really well. Yeah. Like, really well. Yeah, well, that'll probably do it for us today. So if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can
1: also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on
0: iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howard for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, ChildhoodRemastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time, mateys. Yarr!